it's important for us that we understand the nature of our bodies, of how our sense faculties work. So we see that um, for us, it's very normal that we can perceive images and forms. But if someone is blind, they, there is still these forms present and there's light, but they're not able to see it. And those things are present, but their minds don't have that feeling, or that perception of sight. So it's not there for them. And it's the same with people who are deaf, even though there are sounds around them, they don't perceive those sounds, they don't reach the mind. Or for people who get COVID, um, sometimes their nerves can be damaged temporarily, and so there's no feeling of any odor or smell that arises. So it shows that these perceptions we have, or being able to receive these things, uh, depends upon our brains and how well they're functioning. Depends upon our nerves as well. So if our nerves are good, uh, then the eye will be able to see things. And all of our sense organs, they have nerves associated with them. So if the nerves of the eye are working well, then they'll be able to perceive forms. If the nerves in the ear are working well, they'll be able to hear sounds. And it's the same with our bodies, uh, with our skin, that if the nerves throughout our body is working well, then they'll be able to feel uh, heat and coolness, something hard, whether something's painful. And uh, you can see that if our brains have problems, and uh, say there's an aneurysm, or uh, we get a stroke, then certain parts of the brain may stop working. And if it's the part that uh, feels things, then in that certain area that the brain is responsible for, we won't get any perception of feeling. Uh, so for some people, it may be their foot. And even though they may get acupuncture in their foot, a needle stuck in, they don't feel any pain at all. So in order for these feelings to come about, the nerves have to be functioning and send that information to the brain for there to be the vinyana uh, that comes up, this sense consciousness that comes up. But if there is the sense consciousness arising and our minds are lacking in peace, then it'll attach to everything that we experience as me and mine. We'll see all the things in terms of self. So if we see something, we say that I see it. And if we can't see something, if we can't see it all, then we say that I can't see. But it's just nature that when causes or conditions are fully present, then uh, that thing will arise. So sight will be able to come up. But when we see something, uh, we take it a step further and say, it's me, I see it. And then the heart gives rise to liking and disliking. All these feelings of happiness and sorrow constantly uh, pour into our minds. So the training of our mind is something that bears importance for us. 
we need to try to develop the peace within our hearts. So in meditation practice, there are many methods that we can use. And there's the method of contemplating into physicality and mentality. The method of noting uh, the rise and fall of the belly. So noting rising and falling as the breath comes in and leaves. There's the method of using the meditation words, the buddho, dhammo, sangho, or just any mantra. And these are all techniques, methods for peace of mind, for the heart to gather into samadhi. We can also use contemplation, contemplating that this life is not sure, but death is sure. And this is also a method for bringing about peace. We can recollect the Buddha, the purity of the Buddha. And for some people, their minds are averse to just staying with the one word of Buddha. So they need to think some more, more actively recollect the qualities of the Buddha, that his compassion was vast, unbounded, limitless. There was no end to his karuna. And uh, his mind was completely pure. He'd been able to defeat entirely the defilements in his heart. And when we think in this way, then our minds can settle down into peace. So these are ways of contemplating to bring about inner ease. For those of us who are charitable on a regular basis, we can recollect that as well, all the goodness that we've done, all the skillful acts that we've engaged in. And even though on that particular day, we may not have had the opportunity to do any good deed outwardly. Maybe we didn't have the chance to go to the monastery to make offerings. But when we recollect the goodness that we have done in the past, then our minds feel at ease. They feel peaceful and calm. So all of these methods to bring about inner peace, what we call samatha, uh, the calming methods. And vipassana is the arising of clear insight, clear knowledge. And this happens little by little. And initially it's just a small amount of vipassana. Like when we recollect death, we contemplate, reflect that this life is not sure, but death is sure. We can look into the nature of these bodies, seeing them as being something, a constant, something that needs to get old, and then sicken, and then die. So thinking in this way is very close to insight. What we're doing is we are recollecting based upon the memories that we have, recollecting that these things are inconstant, that they are stressful, that they're not self. But this doesn't give rise to true wisdom, however. It's only when the mind is in a state of peace, when it's come uh, to a point of stillness, that we'll be able to see these things clearly. When the mind is calm in this way, then we can gain knowledge. When it starts to proliferate, it starts to spin its stories, then when our mindfulness is able to keep up to speed with that and be aware of it as it's happening, 
will gain true knowledge. And this is vipassana, this is insight. But it's not thought. It's knowledge, it's not thought. So this knowing comes from the still mind. And the still mind is what is able to give us insight. We know what the mind is feeling. We're able to separate out uh, the body from the mind, that they're two different things, they're two different parts, different entities. We're also able to separate out the mind from its objects. So the mind is one thing, its objects are another thing. And when we watch people as they walk about, we'll perceive them as just being robots, knowing that there's no self there. Seeing that this is just uh, samuti, just conventions. So we may tell ourselves this. We may tell ourselves that all physicality and mentality is not self. And we can recite this over and over, but this knowledge isn't real. We tell ourselves this, but it doesn't become true in our hearts. But when it does really come up, when this insight comes up, um, we'll see people, but we'll also see that they're not people. They're just a thing that's moving about. Or like these days, we could refer to them as robots. If they have all the different parts, they've got electricity flowing into them, then they'll be able to move. So we reflect upon bodies in this way. And so if our brain is working well, then it'll be able, the mind will be able to use that to give orders to the body. It can tell us to lift our hand and the hand will rise. And tell us to walk and the body will move. And tell us to eat and it'll start eating food. And the mind can tell the body to sleep and it will lie down. It'll be able to keep a sense of balance and uh, and be able to, to move well. But if there's something that's gone wrong, if, for instance, uh, the veins have uh, reduced inside and the blood in size and the blood isn't flowing into the brain properly, and the area of the brain that's responsible for movement isn't working or has been damaged, and then the mind simply can't control the body in that way. And that's because the brain isn't functioning well. And the reason that we're able to move like we can normally is due to the correct uh, functioning of our brains. So if our minds are peaceful, then we'll see all the bodies, the people around us as robots. And they're not self. So we view them in this way. There's no being, there's no animal, no us, no them. And it's something that we are able to do, we can gain this knowledge. But in the beginning, we do need to train ourselves to bring up goodness, to develop samadhi, to walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, the path that will take us to seeing the truth, that will take us to abandoning the sense of self. And if we walk this path, we can get there. But if we don't train in this way, then having been born into this world, We'll just follow the ways of the world. We'll just follow the demands of our bodies. So our bodies get hungry, 
then we go out to find food. We carry on doing this, then eventually the body gets sick. And really, we're no different to just common animals. When it's the time to eat, we go searching for food. It's no different from a chicken. And then when night falls, we go to find some place to sleep, wake up and go searching for food again. And that's just what life is about. It's just finding food and rest. So that's how animals are. It's their nature. And for us, if we don't train ourselves, um, we don't develop this path, we don't study anything, we don't cultivate anything, then we're no different from an animal. We're devoid of wisdom. So we should ask ourselves, why were we born? As a child, or if we have children, we should ask them, why were you born? When they grow up, ask them, why were you born? And what are we going to do with these lives before we die? If we don't gain any knowledge, all we'll do is just follow the emotions that come into our hearts. Any greed, hatred, and delusion that arises, we just follow that continuously, always running after it, always dragged along by it, never meeting with any inner peace. But if we gain some wisdom, and we'll also gain knowledge. And we'll know about generosity. We'll come to the monastery and make offerings. And we'll get to know the teachings of the Buddha and be able to praise the Buddha. When we do this, we give our homage to the Buddha through building goodness and through sacrifice. And so we cultivate this. We cultivate generosity. But even so, some people may criticize us for our generosity and say, well, why are you giving things to the monks like this? It all just disappears. You don't get anything back. It's better to make offerings to the deities. At least then, there's something left. But we must understand that what we gain is internally regain wealth in our hearts. So just like a seed of any kind of plant um, that is put into the ground, if the things that it needs to grow are there, there's enough rain, enough sunlight, there's enough nutrients, then it will start to grow and develop. And so to our hearts, if they've developed goodness, if they have skillful qualities, if we've cultivated merit, um, then they'll grow up, they'll develop. So we have our generosity, we try to keep our precepts well. And then there's this aspect of bhavana, of cultivation. And this is something that's quite difficult, it's not easy to do. And it's not just that we have to be only mindful when we're sitting we try to keep our mindfulness with us in the present moment, no matter what we're doing. If we're eating, if we're moving, we try to be very aware of what's going on, of the actions of our body. And if we're mindful, then the scattered thinking, the restlessness of our hearts, the, the desire for sensual pleasures, the aversion, the doubts that they have, 
and these things will start to ease. The amount of thinking that goes on will lessen and our minds will settle into peace. So it's the nature of our minds that they do have greed, hatred, and delusion present in them. So we need to bring up this knowing, this mindfulness, to um, be able to control our minds, to have a, a sense of what's going on, and to be able to teach our hearts to be intelligent. So having been born, uh, then everyone moves towards death. So if someone does something and we feel angry, we start to hate them, we should try to forgive them, and seeing that they too will have to die. And we can ask ourselves, well, what is it that we're angry at? It's not actually a person. We say, I'm angry at such and such, but they don't actually have that name. That name isn't real. There's no true person there. Or there is, really, is a mind. And this mind in its true state is still and radiant and bright. It's just that when these impressions from the six senses arise, the mind starts to create things. It starts to give rise to its narrative. And this narrative can tell us anything. It can create goodness. It can create evil. This narrative can tell us that uh, this is good and that's bad that this is meritorious, and that's demeritorious. It can tell us every kind of thing. And this is the sankharas, um, the proliferation of the mind. So whenever the mind moves, it moves based upon its ignorance, based upon this perception of self and other. So we need to bring up knowledge. And the mind itself is this knowing element. It's something that's very natural. Just like water, that if we put different colored dye into it, it changes a color according to that dye. So if we put yellow color into it, it goes yellow. A brown, it goes brown. But when we separate the dye out from the water, then the water turns pure and clean again. So what do we do? How do we do this with our minds? When the mind meets with any sense impression, then greed, hatred, and delusion will respond to that. The mind loses its stillness. It starts to think a lot, to become quite frantic. So we have to bring it to a single meditation object and try to keep this continuously with our hearts. In this way, then, the mind will become temporarily free from the sense impressions. It will be empty of those impressions. Just like we've gone on holiday to another part of the country, that at that point we are free from our work, and we feel very light, very at ease. We're able to rest our bodies and our minds and regain our energy so that we can come back to our work refreshed. And so if our minds are always experiencing these sense impressions, constantly there's just this endless barrage of them, then it'll be very frantic and chaotic. The mind will always be stirred up. It'll always be 
giving rise to perceptions of a being, of a me or an other, which works to create chaos in the mind. So we need to bring our minds to a meditation object, develop them into a state of peace. And then we'll be able to see that the reason that we were born is to develop goodness. And even though we may do this, even though we may be very good people or do a lot of good things, still people will criticize us. They may insult us for it. And even the Buddha, he devoted his life to goodness and people still criticized him. He was the most supreme being in all of the worlds, higher than any Brahma or Deva, higher than any human or animal. There was no being at all in the Sangsara that could equal the Buddha. And his mind was completely pure, had this great wisdom. And even so, people criticized him, people insulted him. So for us, we've been born into this world. And in doing that, we need to meet with criticism. And people are going to gossip about us because these are the dhammas of the world. These are the natural qualities that abide in the world. And no matter how much good we do, people are going to blame us. And if we don't do good things, then people are also going to blame us. And so we need to be cautious, always be looking at our minds, try not to attach to these worldly dhammas, these worldly qualities. So whether it's praise or blame, gain or loss, status or loss of status, um, pleasure or pain, um, these are things that we all have to meet with. These are pairs that arise in the world. So we do need to be cautious around them. But if we don't train ourselves in any meaningful way, we just <coughs> live our lives going off to work and then eating and just doing that, then when someone insults us, we won't be able to take it. So we need to cultivate our minds and be really intense in this training to bring up more energy in our hearts. And even if we have a family, we still need to, to work at this inner cultivation as well and develop this continuously, always try to train our minds. When we do this, then we'll come to the realization that the reason that we were born is to develop our minds and to build up goodness. And though we have these defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion, that we were born to abandon these, to slowly but surely reduce this greed, this hatred, and this delusion. That maybe we start off with a lot, but as we develop, then we are left with just a little. So even though we do have these qualities, we, or these defilements, um, we put in effort, we train ourselves, and they will uh, steadily lessen. And we practice like this. And so that's the reason of this life, that we were born to train our minds. And there's a simile for this, or a metaphor, um, that say we were in the Tibetan tradition, the Vajrayana tradition, um, 
They say it's like you're caught by a yaka, by an ogre, and they ask you, why were you born? And if you're not able to answer the question, then that ogre is going to eat you. But if you can answer it, then it won't be able to eat you. It'll have to let you go. So this ogre, it doesn't exist anywhere externally. It's an ogre in our own hearts. Greed, hatred, and delusion are these ogres. They, these are the things which can hurt our minds, and hurt ourselves. And things that create inner heat, that create stress and suffering. So if our minds are peaceful, then they'll come to a state of emptiness. We realize not self. When we see people moving about, we just see them as skeletons walking. The mind is still and it's able to gain insight in this state. So we try to practice following the Dhamma of the Buddha. And this Dhamma is still here with us. And the teachings are still around. And even though the Buddha passed into Parinibbana, he's actually still with us in the Dhamma. And so when we see the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. And the purpose of this life, the reason that we've taken birth, is to practice the Dhamma. The reason we were born is to come to see the Buddha. When we have respect and devotion in the Buddha, then we have a refuge, we have something that we can rely upon. Just like an old person needs a walking stick to lean on. And so if we um, have the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha as a refuge, then we have something to lean on. But for those who don't have this triple gem, uh, don't take refuge in it, then they've got nothing to rely upon. So in having faith in the Buddha, we also have this path of practice that's able to take us out of um, suffering. And we try to follow it as best we can, try to walk as far as we can in this life to build up our paramis until in the end we'll get to know and understand the Dhamma, we'll reach a true peace of mind. So whatever we're doing, I encourage you to have mindfulness. If you're traveling, then chant as you're sitting in the car as well. And pick up just one chant and use this as a means to cultivate the mind, as a means to gain peace inwardly. And uh, this is a good method of inner cultivation. So may all of you see the Dhamma, and may all of your hearts grow in the Dhamma. <laughs>